Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. <laughs> My name's Arnaldo. I'm the pastor here at, uh, at Anchor Southwest. I want to I wanna add... Add my welcome uh, to Lauren's. It's a, such a pleasure to have, uh, have you here. And we are in our third week of Advent, a season where we, we, we learn to wait. Uh, Advent is not just a rush into the holidays, a rush into uh, Christmas trees and shopping and gifts and all things that are really wonderful. Uh, but Advent really is a season to wait for the Lord to come for us. It's a season where we learn to actually tell time in a different way, uh, not according to uh, uh, the, our, our normal calendar or the fiscal calendar, but uh, according to different values, according to the kingdom of God, according to the movement of God throughout history. And this season of Advent leads us right into Christmas tide. It's a period of 12 days, actually, my kids were stoked uh, when I told them, Christmas is not just a day, guys. It's, it's 12 days, like that's where we get on the 12 days of Christmas, like it, it's an actual like whole length of time and they thought that they'd get 12 presents and all that jazz. I'm like, no, 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 it's about Jesus. <laughs> where the eternal and unmade, always existing, always powerful, all beautiful, all encompassing, no limitations, having community that is God decides to send the second person of this holy community to reign as the human king that we need, all the while not giving up their godhood. It's a sobering and a staggering and an alien and a mysterious reality that we're dabbling with here. And so, what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks as we close out the year that is 2021, the year that shall not be named. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to do the small things that God has called us to and entrusted to us and trust that he is working through them. So today we're going to kick off this new series, uh, it's short series, three, three weeks, and, and um, we're going to be looking today at the necessity of Christmas, why we actually need Christmas. We need to pause for a moment and actually rejig some of our thinking around this. Next week, we're going to look at the invitation of Christmas, what it means for us. What does it actually mean that the eternal, unmade God becomes human? Becomes incarnate. In Spanish, meat is carne. Carne. He, became in me- he came in flesh, in meat. What does that actually mean for us? And then for our very last service of the year, I mean, I'm sad, I'm excited for this, but for the very last service of the year, we're, ga- we're gathering, I need you to listen. Friday, the 24th of December at 6 p.m. So if you rock up the next day or on the 26th, I'm sorry, it's going to be you and the Holy Spirit, but we're not going to be here. (laughs) And that's going to be our last service where we're going to be here at 6 p.m. Friday night, uh, family service where we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the reality of Christmas. In other words, today we're looking at, at, this is the question for us today. What in the world What in the world must be true of this world in order for Christmas to be necessary? What in the world must be true of this world for Christmas to be necessary? Not just, 
Not an option, not an add-on, not just a holiday. Why do we need Christmas? Why did God have to come himself into the world? What's the situation here on the ground that necessitated such a dramatic turn of events? Before we do so, let me pray with and for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that the truest thing in the universe is that you are good. And you have shown us, you have extended that goodness to us. And so I pray now, Lord, that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people, that you would help me to remember the things that will be. I pray for those who uh, may be far from you today, that you would bring them near, Holy Spirit. Blow through this place, we pray unashamedly, that people will be altered by your grace today, that they'd be smacked in the face by love. Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my Redeemer and my Rock. In Jesus' name we said, in Jesus' name we said, so what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? news. Well, hold on, hold, there's some research here, guys. We're all going to hear that question in different ways, depending on who we are, and we're going to answer that question depending on who we are, your, our personality, depending uh, whether you are receiving the news or whether you are giving the news. Some of us will prefer to hear the good news first. Uh, most of us maybe will prefer to hear the bad news first. In fact, there was a 2014 study published on this very question, and they found who opted, you're about to be seen right now, folks who opted to receive the bad news first ended with a better mood, but with less motivation to do something about it. Amen. Folks who opted to receive the good news first ended up with a lower mood, which I can't see in Lauren, right? But with more motivation to change. And we have to ask, do we want the good news or the bad news first? Regardless of any sociological studies and moods and motivation, we want to ask the question, why is Christmas necessary? And what we're going to find out is that Christmas is necessary both because there is good news, original good news, but there's also bad news that we must come face to face with. And we're going to travel through these realities as we explore the following. First, we're going to explore this word destiny. And then we're going to look at darkness, and then we're going to look at desire. So why is Christmas necessary? Christmas, I want to say this, is necessary because of humanity's destiny. In order to enter into this Christmas season well, we need to do much more than hang up decorations, which we're going to do, by the way, anyway. We need to do more than just select express shipping on our online shopping. By the way, if you haven't done that, you're, you're toast. Just go, you're going to have to struggle for parking and do it the old way because you're not getting it in time. To do so, we must understand that Christmas is not just a time to look forward to, but a time to inhabit. And to do so, we must understand why this has everything to do with humanity's destiny. Because if we believe that humanity is here on earth for just a little while, just to eject and go somewhere to the ether to play a harp on a cloud, then Christmas really loses much of its power. 
But when we go back to the very beginning, when we return to our origins in the book of Genesis, we get a very different picture about what humanity's destiny is. We get a picture that humanity's destiny, male and female together as co-partners, as co-rulers, their destiny was royalty, kingship, reigning, dominion. You see, we're not created simply for God's pleasure, but we are created for God's purpose. Adam and Eve, our first parents, were placed in this mountain garden of God. And their call was to make what was outside of the garden look like what was inside of the garden. To bring order where there was chaos. To bring beauty where there was dysfunction. God commanded them to bring the order out of the chaos, the beauty out of the disorder. They were to make, they were to make the entire earth. This was their job. They were to make the entire earth look like that garden. And what we know very quickly, Genesis 3, is that they didn't do that. In fact, they let the chaos that was outside of the garden come in. God commanded them to do this, to make the entire earth, like, and I don't mean earth like metaphorically or the idea of earth, like Peakhurst and Oatley and Brooklyn and Zwahi and like everywhere. Like he intended for Adam and Eve through procreation, through dominion, through loving care of this earth to actually bring beauty out of it, to unfurl all of the potential. And what happens? They're duped, they're tricked, they're lazy, and they don't listen. And if you think that you'd do any better, right? Like we think, I'd at least make it to Genesis 4, (laughs) right? Like if it was me, In essence, God endowed humanity with this image of God. And what that means is that God was to rule and to reign through his partners here on earth. So our destiny, humanity's destiny, your destiny, even if our origins are in the dirt, is to be on a throne, co-ruling with God. And we need to recover that. We need to hold that. We're reminded last week, James Dawson served us so well last week, when he opened up the the, uh, psalm, Psalm 8, and he spoke to us that we were, reminded us that we were created just a little lower than the what? Than the Elohim, spiritual beings. Some, Some translations try to really flatten that out and say we were created just a little lower than the angels. That's not what it says. It says we were created a little lower than these spiritual beings. These Elohim, the word is. We were reminded last week that we never met, we've never met and we never will meet a mere mortal. James reminded us that if we were to see, now he stole this from Lewis, I think he gave him credit, but if we were to see what we would be one day, we would be tempted to worship. We are crowned with glory and honor. That is the truth. That is your truth. That is your destiny. That is what God has created you for. And even if we know, we know that Genesis 1 and 2 paint this beautifully charged picture of humanity's destiny. Genesis 3 is right on its heels. We learn that rather than going out, like I said, from the mountain garden of God and subduing the earth, we were subdued. 
The cunning of the ancient serpent and the cowardice and the, if I, want, if I can speak frankly, the stupidity of our first parents. And I mean that in a technical term. The chaos of the earth not only entered the garden, but entered their hearts and ours. And now we're in trouble. Now we're in trouble. There's this great de-evolution of humanity from Genesis 3 onwards. And the throne of earth is now left to collect debris, to collect cobwebs. And rather than it being occupied by righteousness, the earth is full of violence. Rather than the throne even being abdicated completely, it is misused now. It is abused now. Rather than the human throne bringing justice, it traffics in injustice and inequality. Whereas humanity was supposed to rule with and for God, it has usurped that authority and it is trying to find its own way. And what do we get? What is the result of this bastardization of the throne? Darkness. We get darkness. And it's this darkness, that humanity, that the whole world has been plunged into. Darkness. So yes, while the backdrop to the necessity of Christmas is the fact that our destiny is to rule and to reign with and for God, darkness is the reality that brings forth the necessity, the absolute necessity of Christmas. That's why we put lights up. We need Christmas. We need Christmas not, not just for Mariah Carey or a new iPhone, or new kicks, or new underwear, new socks, or buble to be playing nonstop, right? Like, none of these things are bad. Well, one of them is bad, and you can choose which one out of all of that is bad. Um, but that's not why we need the season of Christmas. We need Christmas because of the reality of this darkness. John, uh, uh, John 1, 4 says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, of humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not what? Overcome it. The light shines in the what? In the darkness. Why do we turn on the lights at night? Why do we drive with our headlights in the evening? Let me tell you a story. I'm sorry, I did not ask Catherine, so I'm sorry, uh, but I'm, I'm about to put her on blast. I remember years ago, years ago, we were going on our very first uh, church getaway, right? This was 10, 12 years ago or so. And I forget where it was, some royal park, national park. I don't do well there. Um, I just, I, I like trees, but I just, I'd rather stay in the city. Anyway, um, so we, we get there at night, and we're driving a little 2000 gold, millennium gold Echo, right? Not even a Yaris, right? An Echo. And so we're driving, and actually Catherine's driving, because I'm on my L's and whatever. Um, and we're driving, and it's dark, and there's this there's steep, deep, winding, sort of like, and, and we, I mean, Catherine, I'm sorry, babe, like, Catherine was just so nervous, she was in tears, she was, she was like, I can't see, so this is what I had to do. Every, every five meters, I had to get out of the car and do this, just to make sure there was road around. It was so dark, we couldn't see anything. Every five meters, I mean, it took us like, Half an hour to get down there. And then when we left the next day, it took us about two minutes. Because we saw, we, we had light. But in the darkness, I had to go out and just love my wife. <laughs> love my wife. 
and it was so frustrating. It was, we, we're plunged into that kind of darkness, a kind of darkness that we don't know that if we keep driving, we may just jump the cliff. Why do we need light to pierce the darkness, to cut through it? We need Christmas, not because of our destiny alone, but because that destiny has been thrust into pure and utter darkness. We are a lost people. The events of Genesis 3 continue to ripple through the universe. Abel's blood still calls out of the ground. The murder, injustice, and hunger, and plagues, natural and unnatural disasters, war, and famine, and rape, and child abuse, drug abuse, homelessness, refugees needing to flee oppression, racism, false ideologies, false religions, clerical abuse and cover-up, chronic pain, mental health issues, cancer and neglect and alcohol abuse. A 65-year-old lady was stabbed multiple times randomly just two weeks ago, died on the spot. The world is not right. And all of this, in the face, this is all true, in the face of the most incredible technological advancements we have ever known. We know more about the atom than anyone in human history. And what do we get? We get Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Technology, while it has increased our life expectancy and we are thankful for it, it has ushered in this level of comfort not even known to kings and queens of the past. Still, still, that hasn't been able to dispel the darkness. In fact, we can argue, given the fact that the 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history, that technology truly hasn't curbed our appetite for dysfunction and sin and devastation. It's intensified it. I mean, do I need to argue the point? The only reason why I feel this is so necessary to sit in this for a while is because we are a little numb or a little too distracted to notice the fact that this world is so incredibly broken. And it is broken because I am broken. And I am broken because it is broken. And you are broken because it is broken. And it is broken because you are broken. And round and round it goes. Back in the 8th century B.C., prophet Isaiah was speaking to a culture that was on the very brink of destruction, much like ours. And rather than look to Yahweh their God, they looked elsewhere. They looked to their false prophets, to their politicians, to their educators. And this is what the prophet says. He says this in verse 21. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. Verse 22, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into this thick darkness, this darkness that you can feel. They looked to the earth. They had a closed mindset. They looked to the very same place that created the problems to fix the problems. But we need to come to this radical conclusion today. Like, maybe you came to be cheered up. Like, come next week and come, you know, on Christmas Day, uh, Christmas Eve. 
But today we need to reckon with the reality, with the necessity of why Christmas is necessary. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot usher in the kingdom of God. We cannot make ourselves quote-unquote better. We cannot at all whatsoever fix the problems that we have both inherited and perpetuated. Humanity is not enough. Human ingenuity is not enough. Human quote-unquote goodness is not enough. Human progress is not enough. Human education is not enough. Human wealth is not enough. Our religion is not enough. Human righteousness cannot do it. Our intellect cannot do it. If we could, then Elon Musk would be ushering the kingdom of God. Technology is not enough. Our own human compassion is not enough. I want to say that even our own human love is not enough. Justice is not enough. Our striving is not enough. Our human strength, our military might, our imagination is not enough. Humanity is not enough. We are truly up the creek without a paddle. And the world as we know it is both evil and ignorant and impotent to boot. We are a people, and I mean a people, I mean like a human people, human race, not just the West or the majority world. We are as a people in trouble. And there is nothing within our world, there's nothing inside of us that we can muster to heal our world. And what Christmas does, what it should do, is that it helps us come face to face with this reality. I love how Tim Keller puts it when he writes this. He says, Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental. I hated when I first read this, by the way. I'm like, what a wet blanket. But just, just wait. Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental realistic way of looking at life. It does not say, cheer up. If we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. But it supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say, we can fix this if we try hard enough. But nor does it agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is instead this. Things are really this bad. And we can't heal or save ourselves. Things are really this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. You see, in order to embrace the reality of Christmas, we must first embrace the darkness of it. The human context that makes Christmas not only beautiful, but necessary. The fact that we can even face the darkness in the world and in ourselves means already there is good news. So often we run from words like repentance or darkness or evil because we don't understand yet that the only way that we can even become cognizant of evil is that grace is already present. The good news is that even if humanity's destiny has been thwarted by human sin, dysfunction, waywardness, whatever language you want to use for that, 
there is something stronger than darkness. Desire. Desire. Not our desire, but God's desire to not allow the darkness to have the last word. God has a deep desire. I want to say God, so we, we've, stripped, we've stripped God so often of his pathos. Read, read, I mean, read, read the prophets. For Lord's sake, literally for the Lord's sake, read the prophets. Like God is full of pathos and energy and emotion. God has desire. It's not our desire, but God's desire to not allow the darkness to have the last word. You see, even if our destiny has been overcome by darkness, there is a deep, deep, deep desire in God's heart to see that destiny restored. And that is what Christmas is about. That not only makes Christmas necessary, but, but possible. The desire of God to not leave the throne designed for humanity vacant. And so what does God do? If our destiny is to rule and reign with and for God on a throne, if that throne can only be occupied by a human king, but can only be achieved by God himself, do you see the genius of God, the wisdom of God, that to us seems like foolishness? What only God can do, and what only humanity should do, Jesus does. Jesus accomplishes this through his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And don't forget, part of the gospel is the pouring out of the Spirit. Jesus, fully human, who, by the way, remains fully human. Newsflash. Jesus did not lay down his humanity when he was ascended onto the right hand of God. Jesus, right now, skin like bronze, right? He was in Cancun or something for the summer, right? Eyes full of fire, hair like white wool, reigning and ruling, not only as God, but also as the human king that none of us could be. This is what Christmas is about. It's about God's unquenchable desire to have us with him, and he will not be denied, to return to the mountain garden of God so that he may have us. And at the end of the day, Christmas is really a story of desire, God's desire to have you. But man, you know, it's just difficult for us to understand today. Harder still is believing that anyone wants us. And yet this truth stands at the center of the universe. It's this truth. God needs nothing. Like, let's get that straight. This idea, this idea that God needs you is nowhere to be found. God needs nothing. He lacks nothing. He's deficient in nothing. And he definitely doesn't need you. Like, you know you. He doesn't need me. And yet, and yet, God is ridiculously ready to receive you. One of my favorite parables in Scripture is found in Luke 15 where uh, the, there's a father with two sons, an older son, industrious, 
follows the rules, a younger son, and maybe that's you, a younger son who's not industrious, who basically wishes his father dead, asks for his inheritance, goes off to a faraway land and spends it on prostitutes and partying and whatever else he wanted to do, and then he finds himself a Jewish man about to eat from a pig's trough. Like this is, when, 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 you, when you think about hitting rock bottom, this is below rock bottom. And he doesn't come home because he's repentant. You don't see that in the story. He's hungry. He's just, he's just trying to fill a need. And he comes back with his speech prepared. And even before he gets the word out, the father says, put my ring on him, shoes on his feet robe on his back. He came home because he was hungry, but what he found was love. So you see, Jesus didn't just die for you. He lived for you. He was righteous for you. He obeyed for you so that he can make your life possible, so that you can become the righteousness of God, so that you can be now free to obey and live within the grain of this universe. This, this is what Christmas is all about, but we can't rush to quickly past the context that makes Christmas necessary. It's our own impotence, our own foolishness, our own dysfunction, our own waywardness, yours and mine and the other billions of people who've walked this earth. And let's reckon with that. We're safe to wrestle with that. We're faced to, to, to face evil both in the world and in ourselves. We're, we're free to do that because we're enveloped already in grace. And so what we're going to do, we're going to pause for a moment in just a moment. We're going to do something countercultural. We're going to look at the reality of ourselves in hope. Right? Because, because our, you know, our, our culture or, or our family upbringing, we, we can do one of two things. We can either deny that reality, and maybe some of us grew up with that narrative. We just deny that reality. Or, or we look at that reality and we think that we are the like, like we're less than human. Worm theology, right? Like, like I'm nothing. But you're not nothing. God didn't die for junk on the cross. He died because he wanted you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says that Christ, he bore the shame on the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. What didn't he have? before he did that. He, he, had, he, he didn't gain God. He, he didn't gain relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He gained you. He gained me. You are the joy that was set before him. And so we look at the evil in the world and in ourselves as hopeful realists. Yes, things are that bad. Yes, I am that broken. And yet, nevertheless, there is hope. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray a prayer of repentance together. And I want to give us a minute as, as the coal comes up, as Joel comes up, as, as the band comes up. And I want us to just pause for a moment. Jono's not going to play drums right now. So it's, this is a moment for us to be hopeful realists, to pray a prayer of repentance, to not approach it in a way that we own, like the, that we become the shame that the devil wants us to be, but to cast that on the cross, be able to sit with our own thoughts, 
sit with our own reality, sit in our own darkness, to come face to face with ourselves and realize that Christmas is necessary because of the darkness that has overcome our world and our lives, to come face to face with the ways that we have failed to live into and out of our destiny, and to do that with a hope. Listen, you need to hear this. To do that with a hope that not even death can snatch from you. Let me lead us in this prayer. It'll be up on the screen for you to meditate on for a couple minutes here. And this is also a time before I pray this, um, if you didn't sit down on your communion cup too quickly, uh, this is a moment for you uh, to go ahead. I've done it, okay? There's no shame here. Uh, a, A time to remember, a time to pause and to remember. Remember that Christ's body was broken for us and Christ's blood was shed for us for the repentance, for the forgiveness of our sins. Prayer says, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault. In thought, in word, in deed. In what we have done, in what we have left undone, Our world, through our own folly, has been thrust into darkness. Help us to reckon with that darkness in hope. We wait for your light. It is that bad. Nevertheless, there is hope. 